I want to begin today by placing a word in front of you. The word is inheritance. So here's my question. When you hear the word, do you think of something positive or negative? What sentiment does the word evoke in you? I'm, I'm going to give you just a moment. So for some of you, I'm going to guess the word evokes more positive thoughts. When you hear it, you probably think of assets that might come your way when the patriarch or matriarch of your family leaves this world. In the path of your vision are such things as investments, stocks, bonds, gold, even cryptocurrencies. Maybe think of hard assets. The family lake house will be coming your way someday or the family estate or the well-preserved antique automobile that your great-grandpa bought when he was 20 years old and it is worth a fortune today. In positive terms, the idea of inheritance can kind of bring a smile to our face, at least a sense of inner joy, thankfulness, but not all of us. Sometimes when we hear the word, the word is not positive, but negative. Think about this with me. What are some not so positive things that one might inherit? So pretty rapidly one might say, I mean, bills, bills. What, what if at the passing of one's parents, what is received is not a home, but a mortgage? Or what if in fact your loved one was upside down with their home or auto loan and you owe money on the so-called asset that's now been just dumped into your lap. What if instead of cashing into the bank, you owe the bank, or worse yet, the IRS, a boatload of money? As the new guardian or the person who's taking care of the family legacy, it can go both ways, right? Legacies can be either positive or negative, which is what makes the section of First Peter that we're going to entertain today so relevant. On today's episode of God Size Living, I want to come around the word inheritance, not, not so much from the perspective of, of fiscal or physical or even legacy assets, but from a spiritual perspective. In, in our scripture, Peter introduces the word in such a way as to help early Christians living in an exilic and persecutory Rome think positively about what God is doing in their lives. And we should do the same. Living in America in a time where Christianity has moved into the exilic edge of culture, yet there's more to the word in many senses. It's my hope that Peter can stir up a couple of key questions within each one of us. Specifically, I hope to set before us the question of what kind of spiritual inheritance we will leave to those who come behind us. So let's jump back into Peter today. We're in chapter one and we're looking at verses four and Five. Now, I think that maybe one of the things that got me thinking about our word inheritance today is actually a book I read a long time ago. I'll tell you, this, this book is on my top 10 list, probably one of the top 10 books in terms of impact that I've ever read, and I didn't expect it. The book is titled, They Went That Away. It was commissioned by Malcolm Forbes, published in 1988. I told you, it's an old book. I don't know how much you know or remember about Malcolm Forbes, but what an interesting human being. Most of us know the name. It's a result of Forbes, the magazine. Talk about inheritance. The magazine is part of the Forbes legacy. But what else do you know about Malcolm? Born in 1919, he would serve both the business world as a successful businessman the American Armed Forces, Forbes, served the 84th Infantry in World War II, earning a Purple Heart 
on the way to overcoming Hitler's forces in the Battle of the Bulge and emancipating two German concentration camps. He also served the U.S. government, wherein he was a senator for New Jersey. In addition to being a public servant, many considered Forbes to be a generous benefactor. Uh, it's kind of what made him fun. He was a collector of such things as homes, arts, yachts, motorcycles, and Fabergé eggs. This is the parties that Forbes threw, though, that would leave people talking long after he was gone. Why? In a phrase, party gifts. Let me, let me tell you why you wanted to be on the guest list of Malcolm Forbes. It wasn't so much what you would come for as much as what you might leave with. Forbes was actually known to give away at his parties extravagant gifts, including motorcycles and uber expensive Rolex watches. But maybe it's what Malcolm Forbes left behind in the form of this book that was his greatest gift. Not, not to just a few of us, but to whoever might want to take the time to read it. So what is the book about? In a word, legacy. Before he died at age 70 by heart attack, Forbes commissioned his son, Steve, to write a book detailing the legacies left behind by some of the most famous people in history. Today, when we think about famous people, our minds go immediately to folks with such stature as Tom Brady, Tom Brady, the goat of football, Taylor Swift, and maybe if you're older, Dolly Parton. How does someone in their 80s pull off wearing a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader outfit on national television? Really? Yeah, she did it. But Forbes' book goes back further, asking the question, yes, but what legacy did the truly great? Not, not just those of popular iconography, but the truly gay, great lead behind. I'll tell you, when you read the book, and I hope you will, the answer to that question will blow your mind. Just think about a few of the characters with me. How about Alexander the Great? Without question, the greatest military strategician to ever live, unconquered in battle. What is his legacy? He died a drunk at the hand of alcohol. He drank himself to death. Not, not a good legacy. Jimi Hendrix, rock and roll fame. No one could play guitar like Jimi Hendrix. But nothing played Jimi Hendrix like drugs. They took his life. Talk about obscuring one's legacy. There's the great Roman historian Pliny. He's quoted to this day. His impact on ancient history is incalculable. But as much as he listened to the voices of those who went before him, he had trouble listening to those around him, paying no t attention to warnings. To leave Pompeii, he died frozen in time by the volcanic dust left by Vesuvius in 79 AD. Rasputin was poisoned, shot, and beaten. There's a legacy for you. Wild Bill Hickok, <laughs> shot in the back. Mozart, has there ever lived a greater composer? He died penniless. And the list goes on and on. Please read the book. The impact that it had on me was significant. As I got to the end of who went that away, I was struck with a thought. Really, really a question. So what does it mean to leave behind something that does not fade, something that unlike fame is not fleeting something of substance. And then Peter's word hit me, inheritance. What Peter is talking about is first and foremost, what has been left behind for us by Jesus himself. Follow this with me by way of review or reminder. When we read first Peter, we're reading a letter 
written to the church in Rome at the time of Nero. This period, 64 AD, was without question one of the most tumultuous ever faced by Christians. Death was in the air. It was palpable. It was real. To be living in Rome at the time Peter is writing this letter is to watch family members kidnapped, tortured, and killed. Last week I compared it to Hamas and their intrusion into Israel, where as of this podcast, there are still today well over 150 hostages that have been taken. Today, we're asking a question, are they even alive? We don't know. In Peter's day, the same was true. In some cases, Nero's Christian victims were executed quickly. But it would not be unusual for Nero's henchmen, acting either of their own accord or under his authority, to take hostages for their own personal pleasures before killing them. Often husbands, wives, moms, dads were left with the pain of not knowing where or what was happening to their children. The pain was horrible. Peter doesn't deny it. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't use cliche religious language to cover up the reality. He tells the truth. There's pain. The pain of loss, the pain of not knowing, the pain of impotency and feeling like you failed and cannot help the very ones that you love the most. The pain at the church, those who called Jesus Lord, was feeling was real, but so was the inheritance. I just want you to listen to these words. I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. To the church, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to, and here's our word, inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. End quote, and Lord would you please give us your insights into this word? I, I don't know exactly why, but when I read these words, what comes to my mind is the speech General George Patton gave to his Third Army as they approached the German encampment at the Battle of the Bulge. I picked up Patton's words again this past summer while reading a book that contains the greatest speeches ever delivered in human history. Patton's was one of them. I'm not going to place all of his words in front of you today, but I do want you to hear what he spoke to a group of soldiers, all of whom knew they might die in battle. Remember with me that Patton began inspirationally by recognizing America's commitment to win. I love that. At a time in history, you did not enter into a war to stem the enemy's growing tide or to manage a battlefront. You entered into a battle to win. To listen to Patton's words, to his army is to find oneself inspired. Americans, he says, love a winner and they cannot tolerate a loser. Amen. And let's go to war. Then something happens. Patton knew something. He knew that if his troops were going to trust him, he would have to tell the truth. And if you listen carefully to his words, what he tells his soldiers is real. Not, not every one of you here will die in battle, he says. He wants to give them hope. It denotes some of you will. Better he would note that one give his life for this cause than to live apart from fighting for what is right. Better, he is saying, to live in such a way as to leave a legacy of freedom. As Peter addresses the church in 64 AD, he has to do so honestly. Everyone knows the score. People are dying for their faith. 
Yet Peter would say, rather than shrink back or live in fear, much better to embrace this truth that while death is in the air, so is life. The inheritance of the cross was and is life everlasting. And this inheritance, he is saying, is kept for you in heaven. Our inheritance is life everlasting through Jesus Christ, and we have it now. Listen to the words again. 1 Peter 1, 4, 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Our hope is alive. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. That's what we have. That's imperishable, undefiled, unfaded, and kept in heaven for you. What Jesus left us in the spiritual inheritance of faith is our hope. Faith that is our assurance that no matter how, what happens to us in this world, we'll live forever. And this inheritance, he says, is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So what does our inheritance look like? I want to stop for just a minute and share a word picture with you. I think this is awesome. Did you know that the word for inheritance in the Greek Bible, the original language of the New Testament, is the word klaronomos? Let me tell you why I love the word. It's a composite word made up of two parts and when put together form a beautiful picture. Here's how it works. The first part of the word is klaros. Literally, the word means lot. Just remember with me that particularly in the Old Testament, a lot was an instrument used by God's people to seek a decision regarding what God would will at a particular time. The proverbist says it this way, the lot is cast into the lap, but its decision is from the Lord. So the idea was if a decision needed to be made about who was to receive something, a lot would be cast. Whoever it pointed to, the belief was God was using the instrument to make his will known. By the way, remember, even the Roman soldiers cast lots to see who would receive Jesus's garments. That's the first half of the word. The second half is centered in the word animas in Greek. This is the word for law. So when someone calls something ergonomic, it's two words, ergos, work, namas, law, the law of work. I hope this chair works for your body. It is ergonomic. I hope this car is ergonomic. It drives according to the laws of energy. Put them together and you have the idea that the inheritance is the law of the lot. Claro animus. So let's make sense of that. To do it, we'll take a trip back into the Old Testament book of Exodus. I want you to remember that when God rescued his people Israel out of Egypt, he did so with a promise. I'm bringing you into a land filled with milk and honey. Now remember with me that when God brought Israel 40 years later into Cana, he had to give, he had to have a way of giving each family a portion of land. And there were a lot of portions to be given. I think sometimes we forget that there were a whole bunch of Hebrews that made the journey through the wilderness and into the promised land. The number we believe is probably somewhere around two plus million people. Put that in perspective. Think of the city of Los Angeles or Phoenix or Houston. Pick one. Try moving the whole of Los Angeles into a new area. That number is huge. So how do you make sure that everyone has a place? I want you to recall several things. Number one, tribes. Recall with me that God said we're 
going to do this according to tribes. There are actually 12 tribes in Israel, so the land would be divided up 12 ways, actually 11, as the Levitical tribe was cared for in a different way through the temple. Number two, the lot. Once you can picture the tribes receiving portions of land, the next question becomes, well, how was the land then divided up among tribal families? Here's the answer. A lot was used, literally. A lot would be rolled out that would determine which family was to receive what piece of land. By the way, to this day, we use the term lot to refer to a piece of land. Number three, when the family received their portion of land, they received it into perpetuity. This is your family's portion, portion of land forever. Number four, however, they did not own the land. It was recognized among the Hebrews that you can't own something that you did not create. As silly as it would be to suggest that a human being could own air, so it was considered folly to suggest that anyone could own land. So what did that mean? That meant that the Israelite families were to function as stewards of their lot of land. The land is owned by God, but my family will steward it. We will do so in such a way that it brings blessing back to the kingdom and the mission of Israel, which was to share God's gospel with the world. Number five, now let's add the word inheritance. When you talked about an inheritance, it meant that the land apportioned to your family was to remain in your family. So at the death of the patriarch, the firstborn of the family would inherit the lot of land that got originally apportioned to the family. Think of it this way. The lot now falls to the firstborn. Number six. Now, allow me to take us one step further. There's symbolism involved here, and I want you to see it. The land that was apportioned to the family was literal and physical, yet it also meant to point to something greater. Remember that with the fall of Adam and Eve, God placed a curse on creation. In other words, after the fall, God said the earth will never be the same. From henceforth, there will be death in it, there will be disasters, there will be thorns, there will be work, but there will come a day when I will return. And when I return, I will burn up this old earth, fallen earth, and I will create a new earth. Now, listen to this. On that day, all who have followed me as Savior will receive a lot of land, a lot on new earth. In fact, you can count on it as much as you count on the very laws of nature. As much as I can count on gravity to work every time, I can count on receiving a lot on the new earth at the day of resurrection. This is my inheritance. Now, all of a sudden, this word begins to make sense. What Peter is saying to the Christians, Christians who are dying in the persecution, is this. Though your very life may be taken from you, you have this promise that it, that it is as sure as the laws of nature, that God has already carved out for you a place, a lot on new earth. This is the impact of the word in front of us today. Peter is telling the church in Rome at the time of Nero's persecution, even if you die, you will have life, and not just life, but eternal life, that you will live out on new earth. So allow this law of the lot, your inheritance, to guide your actions, attitudes, and beliefs, so that in the end, the legacy you leave behind to those who you love, your family, is built on faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that thought to be just significant, not, not only for then, for Christians in Rome, but for you and me today. Here's why. The way I live today, what I do with my life, how I do it, my words, my actions, my beliefs, 
act absolutely to impact my witness. I believe that what our karamas or inheritance gives to us is a promise that acts somewhat as a modulator toward the way I live life among others. If, for instance, I believe that my best life is in the here and now, I'll do all that I can to get as much out of this world as I possibly can for myself. And I'll do whatever I need to do to get it. My posture or orientation towards life will be self-facing. I will always ask, what's in it for me? As I live this way, my witness to my loved ones, my children, my family is what? What legacy am I leaving? Not a good one from a spiritual perspective. No, it's a, it's a legacy that says God wants you to be happy. So grab all you can get and grab it any way you can. But opposite, if I know that my best life is not today, but is to come on the new earth, I am set free from the need to live for self. My posture is different. Rather than self-facing, my posture is outward and other-facing. I'm not in it to win it for myself. I am where I am because God has placed me here. And he's placed me here for the sake of others, even those who might choose to persecute me. In fact, my primary reason for being has nothing to do with myself and everything to do with the mission for which God made me. When I live this way, my legacy is different. What those close to me, my children, and those I love inherit from me is about a kingdom that God is building. That is what I want more than anything else. So let me come back to our starting place. At the beginning of our time together, I asked you a question. What comes to mind when you hear the word inheritance? Again, most people hear it. Their first thought is of a physical nature. I hope I inherit a fortune, a car, a lake house. I pray that in our time together, we're beginning to see the word a bit differently. My hope is that we see the word spiritually. First is a promise toward what I know I will receive from the Lord, my best life in the future. And I know this, there is a lot with my name on it. Secondly, I hope we can see the word from the perspective of legacy. Legacy is not something that we figure out at the end of our lives, but what we do on a day-to-day basis. So for that reason, I want to take us through three questions. Allow me to start with a word picture. This may come off a bit strange, but just go with it. I want you to start by picturing a duck. That's right. Quack, quack, a duck. Get a picture of a duck in your mind. And I told you this would be strange, but I have two reasons for doing this. Number one, I want to communicate the simple truth. The question of legacy is not one that you can duck. It's ever with us. This is true because the way I live today impacts the legacy that I will leave on my last day. If that's true, I believe it is. Three questions apply. Thus, the second reason for the duck. The three questions I want to leave with us today form an acrostic. A, D, C, a duck. I'll start with the A. As I think about legacy and the one I'm building today, the first question I ask myself is, Quote, how will the actions that I take today impact the legacy that I will leave tomorrow? When I ask myself this question, I try to do so both positively and negatively. On the positive side, I like to ask myself how, from a kingdom perspective, is what I'm saying, thinking, or doing impacting the people around me throughout the course of a day? Think of the hundreds of decision points that surround what we choose to do. How are they impacting the faith legacy that I want those around me and close to me to experience? Now turn that around. How are the things I'm choosing not to do 
impacting this same group of people. I think sometimes it's the things that I choose, decide not to do, that most impact those around me. That communicate a faith message. Start with actions. Now let's move to D. A duck. A D. Decisions. How will the decisions currently in front of me affect the legacy that I leave? Well, each day that we live is filled with numerous, I say hundreds, but probably more like thousands of decisions. There are some that are of a larger scope. Decisions that we make impact the legacy we will leave. Some of you are facing them right now. It might be a decision about a school or a job. It could be a relationship decision. Some of our toughest ones are. Maybe significant, even a life-changing decision. So let's decide to walk away from a pattern or a habit that is spiritually harming us. In my work, I have the privilege and account at that to listen in on decisions that people face. And as I listen, I try to remain aware that the decisions being made will impact not just that one person, but over the course of a lifetime, perhaps dozens and more people. What decisions are you facing today? Then the last letter, C, a duck. Here the letter C stands for the word conversations. The question is, how are the conversations that I'm having today impacting the legacy that I will leave? I love the fact that when I watch an NFL game, AWS, Amazon Web Services, or Amazon's AI will come on and provide analytics around the probabilities of a field goal being made or a catch being snagged or a run picking up a needed first down. It's fun. I wonder, though, if we could employ AWS to provide an analysis of how many of our conversations with others have faith significance. How would it come out? Too often, I believe, our conversations are so shallow. We talk about the weather a lot. We talk about sports a lot. We might even talk politics. Okay, we do that a lot too. But how many of our conversations are oriented in a way around the one thing that matters most in people's lives? Faith. Too few. So I ask myself, Luke, how, how are you doing with your conversations? If they're mundane, I like to challenge myself to bring Jesus and faith intentionally into the picture. Why? Legacy. If there's one thing I want to say at the end of each day, it is, Lord, thank you for working on my legacy today. Because I truly believe that this is how it works. The inheritance or legacy that we leave behind is about how we live today. This is what Peter was speaking to his hearers so many years ago and into us today. Well, that's it for today. I want, I want to tell you it's a blessing to have you join me each time that you do. It is Christmas time. I'll be lifting you and your family up, and I would ask the same from you. We'll be off a couple of weeks, and then back into the new year. I pray that you have a great Christmas, and until then, have a God-sized week. <music>